listening to Stark Contrast, the Game of Thrones podcast at MovieFail. I'm Soren Howe, and I'm here with Josh Rosenfield. And this week we're going to be discussing the second episode of Season 5, The House of Black and White. So, um, we have a, it's a bit bit different paced episode, I think, than the, the premiere. Uh, I think I enjoyed it more, overall, for that reason. It, um, more happened. <laughs> <laughs> um... More happened. Although I will say this, on a on a broader scale, since we do open with Arya, and it's a great opening, by the way. I also preferred this opening it was actually an opening to an episode. It felt like um, we have someone arriving at a city. Uh, there's you know a sense of, of scope and things like that. But it, it's it's the opening to the whole thing, um, and uh, and yet it's called the House of Black and White. And as we'll I'm sure talk about, uh, it's kind of that's kind of a smaller aspect of this episode. It's kind of a strange way to open, um, or a strange, a strange thing to title this episode, considering it's not, um, really, it doesn't feel like the focus of what's going on. Uh, yeah, this show has always, uh, kind of been, uh, on and off, uh, in terms of the quality of the episode titles. <laughs> so you get stuff like, um, A Man Without Honor, and, uh, The Climb, and Second Sons, and, uh, stuff like that that has him, you know, meaning in more than one storyline. It's literal meaning in one storyline, but it there is a thematic connection to the other storylines. But in this right. case, it's not only like <laughs> um, it, it, the House of Black and White is, as you said, not only just a thing that's in one storyline. Uh, it really has no relation to anything else that happens in the rest of the episode. So it is kind of weird. It, it's feels a little bit like they were not really sure what to call this, so they were like, well, it's the one with that thing. Uh, let's just call it that. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, sometimes the episodes don't have multiple meanings, like Baylor is a good name of an episode, but that episode's so focused on one thing. Well, yeah, that, like, that's the defining thing from that right, episode, too. exactly, or Blackwater or whatever. Exactly, you know? yeah. Um, but in this case, yeah, it's just a strange thing to open with, especially since we learned so little about the House of Black and White, we get so little, uh, uh, I knew they had to come back to it at some point, and maybe that's how they're evaluating it. They're ba- basing it entirely on whoever gets the most, um, wh- whichever storyline they come back to. So the wars to come focused on Tyrion twice, and so that's what they called it, because um, it's in relation to... The- and that was also, some, Mance also said that same line, so it, right, it had right, relevance to something else. That's true, and there was more, and there was more going on there, because you had Mance and you also had uh, Stannis talking about you know, his plans, and you had Cersei preparing for whatever, you know, might eventually come, uh, although she's not preparing for war per se, she's, I'm sure, ready for it with Highgarden or whoever else she's worried about. Um, but anyway, so in this uh, episode, so yeah, it's a, sort of a strange title, but it is a cool opening. Um, you've probably been looking forward to this for a while, hmm. I uh, and I have too. I mean, I've been interested to see, uh, and I'm glad that we had... Um, oh, hold on one second, let me just... Get what's what's this guy's name? Jack and Hagar. What's the guy who plays him? Oh, oh, um, God, what's his face? Uh, Tom. Oh, <laughs> I'm gonna say okay. There's no pronunciation thing on his page. Tom <laughs> Lash. I'm no, I can't say it. No, <laughs> that's not happening. <laughs> Wallachia, Wallachia. Let's go with that. Sure. Tom Malashia. I'm going to go with that. I apologize to Tom Malashia if this is not correct. But <laughs> in any case, uh, it's great to see uh, Tom Malashia uh, show up again uh, to play Jack and Agar because he was definitely a highlight 
of I think it was season two, right? Yeah, season two. Um, I it's again as I've said, it's not one of my favorite seasons, but uh, he was he like I said, he was definitely a highlight, and it's always great to see characters reappear, um, or actors reappear, especially considering they could have recast anyone in this role, because that's the whole point. Exactly. Right? Yeah, he he's he's not. Of all Jack characters, and, <laughs> and that's well, um, it, that's why it's probably worth noting that uh, this is one of the best book changes I think that they've done. Uh, oh. Jack and Hagar does not show up uh, in the books after he disappears at the end of the second book. So when Arya gets to the House of Black and White, it's just some guy, presumably the, whoever the person <laughs> that she first meets is, although he is credited in the credits as Jacken's other face. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it looked, which is an interesting way to credit him, considering Jack and Agar says there's no one yeah. by that name here. I mean, well, like, yeah, that's they, no presumably one. they just yeah, they can't credit him as no one, right? Uh, but they right, would right, if, exactly. if, if they could be that accurate. But yeah, so it's I think it's a great kind of visual way to make the connection between uh, where this story started for Arya and, and and where it's come to. It makes perfect sense. It's good a visual thing for the audience. Uh, bringing a character back people like, it it just, any any way you look at it, it, it makes perfect sense to do it this way, and I'm very happy to see uh, Jack and back. Yeah, absolutely, although I will say, um, and of course, you know, she's sitting outside waiting for the, I feel like we've seen this this before, you know, the reluctant teacher, the whole thing, and, but anyway, it works fine, and it's, what's kind of cool is we get to see Arya, um, you know, hunting pigeons, which is, I think, exactly how, what's happening just before Baylor. speaking of Baylor. Uh, she's in the capital doing the same thing. Yeah, she was. Well, she definitely has done this before. I think that might have been where it was. Right. So it's you know it's cool to see Arya sort of back to what she was doing before she ended up you know uh, becoming attached to the Hound for a period of time. Um, but anyway, yeah, there's not much else to say about about the uh, the House of Black and White. I'm very curious to see. It looks cool. What happens. The, looks the exterior cool. looks really cool. The shots. Uh, all um, these shots were great. I the actually the really approach liked. to it in the boat was really cool because you have this very rigid, uh, rectangular structure, and, but the camera is kind of bobbing up and down, so it's it's shifting in the frame, and it looks very unstable, even though the, sh- the uh, shape of it is very, very rigid. Mm-hmm. It was just an interesting way to to shoot the first time we see it. Absolutely, and I just thought Bravos in general was a cool... Um, oh, I yeah. think we've seen it before, right? Um, we we went to the Iron, the Iron Bank with Stannis, right, the Iron Bank. Kind of... and I think we saw that big statue, Colossus yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, I think so. At least in the opening credits, but we haven't really seen like the street level Bravos that I remember. And it's very, it's I think clearly supposed to be like Venice. Uh, I think they probably shot this yes. in Italy. That's quite possible. Yeah. And they certainly, I mean, you got that impression, this Italian sort of uh, spin to it. Um. Not that that fits in with the House of Black and White at all, but with Serio, we, we certainly got that. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I uh, I thought this was very cool. I just wish we had gotten more of it. It's a lot of um, show does a lot of teasing without ever giving us sort of a conclusion to like what happens next. It really the, well, um, the show is always it's, the show has been kind of weird like this a lot of the time when mm-hmm. you when you have to fit kind of uh, the incremental progressions of so many storylines into a single episode. You get stuff like this where it's, you know, you've spent an hour watching this show, but the only thing that's happened to this one character is uh, she goes to a building and she waits outside and they let her in. <laughs> you know, that's it's basically the extent of what happens to Arya, even though it feels like 
a lot more has happened in this episode. Not a lot happens sometimes to just these individual uh, storylines. And this is, I think, one of the... Uh, it feels... But it feels a little bit manipulative, you know? Like, I feel like... Okay, so maybe... And perhaps these aren't better shows at all, but other shows I'm sure would have might have spent more time giving us, like, an episode mostly focused on... Um, mostly focused on Arya, mostly focused on someone. And not entirely, but at least giving us more of a conclusion, sort of, to these things. But to just give us these little, like, little cliffhangers every time is just... feels like, you know, that sequel bait sort of idea that, you know, cliff weekly you know, five, five more seconds of it until next week, until we get the next five seconds of what happens. Um, it's fine. It's, I mean, we know, we know, uh, there's plenty of shows that, that have done this and, uh, I know the walking dead supposed to be, supposed to be notorious for doing that at the end of every episode, um, getting very cliffhangery until the next one, um, which has met with, you know, some, but it keeps it popular, you know? Uh, and then conversely, you get episodes of, you know, shows like, you know, we've covered Avatar and, and, and a few other shows, and um, they tend to be, like, episodes focused on an individual character will get an entire plot line, you know, in an episode. And we're not, we don't get that here. And it's just, I, sometimes it's frustrating when you want to know something. Uh, and it doesn't always feel like it's necessary narratively, but that, yeah, we're going to just give you, because we know, it's like they're going to give you a lot less of the ones that you know, they know that you're worried about or that you're interested in, and they're going to give you a lot more of ones that you're not so interested in. So, like, more political machinations at the Capitol will give you, you know, 20 minutes of that, because, you know, who wants to see that? And then, you know, we'll give you five seconds of Arya, uh, about to get trained by cool assassin people. I mean, it's just, it's very clear, the uh, the difference here. Um, yeah, well, I guess the, um, the question when you see something like this is, and I think we we talked about this uh, some last season. But the question is always, like, what does this tell us about how much there is to this story this season? If they're willing to, first of all, not have Arya appear in the first episode at all, and in the second episode have so little happen. There's only eight more episodes of story. That's a lot of time. But if, you know, they're if they're willing to kind of spread the events seemingly so thin, it makes you wonder, well, how much how much story really is there for this character? Right. Yeah, it does. I mean, it's quite possible. I mean, we had, uh, I'm trying to think, in season two, um, which I, I, the pacing was all strange with that season, but we got, you know, we got Daenerys after her amazing finale in season one, which was just, you know, uh, incredible, um, with the dragons and the eggs and the burning. Um, and then we, we get her in, in season two, and she's just wandering across a desert, and every time we get her, which just, you know, five more seconds of her wandering across a desert and people dying, um... And her story only picks up halfway through. So we could get that with, you know, with Arya or that kind of thing where we don't get, they don't have enough to fill out the whole season. So they sort of um, artificially like block it off. Like they don't want to give you no Arya, but they want to give you some just enough so that when they get to the parts where they actually have something to say, uh, it coincides with the finale or the more exciting parts of the season. So we'll see. Um, But bringing us to, uh, speaking of political machinations in the, uh, uh, the capital. We have uh, a lot of Cersei and and Jamie and things going on here, which I have to say, um, I would have been okay if we didn't ever really have to sit through a small council meeting again. Uh, <laughs> I just don't find it all that interesting. Um, but I mean, it's fine. The one thing I think it was useful about it was uh, we got to learn a, bit, a little bit about uh, Kevin, who is, I guess, is Tywin's brother. 
Yes. Um, and so it's cool to see somebody who was related to Tywin, who was kind of like the ultimate pragmatist, and to see him interact with Cersei, who he doesn't seem to trust or like in any way. Um, but I would say that out of, I mean, did you have anything? Was there anything about this this meeting that stuck out to you? Worth noting, aside from I guess promoting uh, what's his face, Kyburn to the uh, he was the he's the wildfire guy, right? Oh, he's no, he's the guy who um fixed oh, the one who Jamie's hand. Him. He's the one who fixed Jamie's hand, who Jamie brought back with him. Oh, okay. But so was he also the one who had to deal with the mountain after he died? Yes, and in fact, and in, was... this, in this episode, we see a corpse under a sheet in his laboratory. So uh, it, it makes you wonder who. Who that could possibly be. Right. I remember that whole thing, and they showed us that scene, and it seemed like they were implying something that... Anyway. But anyway, so it's cool. In this episode, he asks for the severed head, because it might prove useful in his experiments. Right. <laughs> oh, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, wasn't uh, the mountain's... Well, the mountain crushes Oberyn's head, and then he just sort of falls over and dies. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say... If he had, if he didn't have a head, you could put, that would have been a very interesting sort of mix there. Oh, a very wow. interesting Frankenstein monster. Um, but uh, anyway, that's a total side <laughs> point. So it's it's cool to see him show up to this, this meeting. He says nothing and does nothing, and then uh, there's a lot of he annoys Pycelle with his with his presence. But yeah, but yeah, and that's about it. Um, people react to him being there, and that's that's really it. Um, I think the more interesting stuff is is really with with Jamie, uh, as it often is. Um, which we get shortly afterwards. Uh, we have Cersei wor- very worried about Marcella. We, we, can I, I, do, I do have one thing to say about this oh, okay. scene. Um, you get the whole thing with the snake in the box with the necklace in it, and it opens very dramatically. Right. Um, I just think it's funny that Cersei opened that and then decided <laughs> to show Jamie. So she like put the whole thing back together. So that Jamie could do the dramatic <laughs> reveal? Well, I mean, I guess maybe the implication is she knew what it was before she opened it. Well, she wait, but she knew that it was the necklace. Like, I, there's, I got the sense that she... Uh, yeah, that is actually kind previously. of funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, Jamie, Jamie off to Dorne. Uh, also, not in the books. Oh, really? This is completely... In, but Jamie's... Uh, <laughs> Jamie, like, in the books, goes to the Riverlands and does completely different stuff. This is all brand new. Okay, well, that's fascinating. Um, well, I'm very... Well, it was interesting. He, he uh, I'm really liking this, and I also was not expecting to see Braun pop up again. And there are scenes together were some of the better ones. Um, was it last season, right? Yeah, they make a, they're a great pair. They're a great pair. They're very entertaining. Uh, it's going to be really awesome to see them go to Dorne together and do sort of weird stealth missions to try and, I guess, rescue Marcella. Um, <laughs> it's such a weird... <laughs> Like, I, I like it, um, and I guess we'll see where it goes. But it is kind of a funny idea for a show like this to have these two characters go on this, uh, like you said, this stealth reconnaissance mission into enemy territory. You know, I don't think it's even. First of all, because last season we didn't that none of that happened with Bronn, right? When and Jamie, those trading. Yeah, that was last season. Yeah. Yeah, but none of that happened in the books. No. Yeah, that was with Ilan Payne in the book. Right. Okay. So I think that's what they're doing, though. It's like I think that's why they set that up so they could do this other thing that they had, you know, planned for. But to me, this is this is classic. You know, people who write for television write differently than they write for a novel, and I'm sure there have been lots of instances where the showrunners have been like, you know what, 
we would love to have these two characters go off together. And then they looked at the book and said, oh, I guess we can't because this one goes and becomes this lord of that place. And this one has to go here. <laughs> yeah. You know, and now that they can do that, they're just going to have – they're going to start playing to what fans want, what maybe what they want, whatever. And so they're going to do things like put Jamie and Braun together because why not? <laughs> yeah, we, I think what's I think the reason no now bound. the reason now that they're getting stuff like that is because of, if you look back at the first season, it's very strictly uh, faithful to the book, and the first three seasons are like that. Oh yeah, and I think it's because at that point they didn't know. Uh, it's it's much like with the with the Harry Potter films, mm. how I think it was the character of creature. They were going to cut, but J.K. Rowling said, no, you can't. You have to introduce him because he is he plays a part in the final book. So I think when they were making those first three seasons, they didn't know really like what was going to be important to the ending and what wasn't. But now I think they recently said they got to the point where George R. R. Martin told them his whole plan for the ending because he knows that they're going to get to it first. Right, right. So right. they know, all right, well, we, now we can tell the story our way and we can get to the same ending, but we can do things that serve a TV show better than, than a book. Exactly, exactly. Which I think is good. Um, I, it's very I, risky. I completely agree. It's totally risky to do something that's not finished yet, right? To, to start making movies. Start making movies for Harry Potter. She was going to finish before the book, before the, uh, the movies came out. That was reasonable to assume. Um, Although she has a much faster rate than George R. R. Martin. In this case, it was, you know, sort of up in the air. But I think that the best adaptations come when, uh, not with the most faithful adaptations, but the ones that change things for the medium, right? If it's yep. better fit, if it better fits TV or movie, then change it. I don't care. Absolutely, yep. Um, the problem is you can't if you don't know what's coming. <laughs> <laughs> so, so exactly what you said, I think that now that they can, uh, they're going to. And I think it'll lead to an even better show than we've gotten. Um, not that there's anything wrong with the books, but that the books are just... It's different. It's a novel. Well, yeah, know. they're books, and, and this is a show, and now that they are able to see uh, what they can change and what they can lose, uh, they can say, well, uh, this, you know, it's, it's better for a TV show, you know, for Jamie to do this than f- to do what he does in the books. Another great example is um, uh, what we do with Brienne in this episode. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, and I really like these scenes, by the way. Yeah, yeah Brienne, <laughs> Brienne is her whole uh, storyline in book four is her wandering around Westeros, miserable, asking people if they've seen Sansa. <laughs> That's every single chapter. And in this, in the show, she's just, they bump into each other at an inn. <laughs> I, and by the way, is this, this, it looks like the same set. Is it the same inn that Catelyn accuses Tyrion in? It, it might be. Like, they say they're near the King's, the King's Road. You know what? I bet place. it is. Yeah, I bet it. I um, totally think it is. And I'm like, wow, this is a small world, isn't it? Um, <laughs> either that, or they just reuse the inn because why not? It um, could be both. <laughs> it could be both. It could be both. But in any case, um, this is a good scene. We have yet another uh, uh, Stark daughter reject her help, which I imagine is probably a pretty big blow to her um, sense of duty. Uh, but they're still going to follow from a distance, which is good, probably because Littlefinger's creepy. <laughs> um, so that'll be cool. It's still not clear where they're going. We haven't gotten any information. Yeah, little, well, Littlefinger says he had his marriage proposal was accepted, so they're off to uh, do that. I mean, yeah, it's still it's still very. Was he referring mysterious. to her? He was referring to. It's not clear, <laughs> though. He I, just her... says my marriage proposal in general, and it doesn't. And she is yeah. She assumes that she, um, he's talking about himself, uh, but yeah, who knows? It's 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 vague in a way that could certainly be, you know, they're setting up that it's actually a marriage proposal for her. Um, 
Well, yeah, and, I, but it, but it's not between them, is what I'm saying. Oh no, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> he's okay. he's her uncle. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's her uncle, but you know, he's also really creepy, and <laughs> you know, he's trying to find people to like reanimate, you know, cat, and it's creepy. And so, yeah, I don't know. I just okay, good. I was a little worried about that. I mean, there was a lot of implications in the last season, and you know, it could have really gone anyway. So, but yeah, but I I don't think you know. Even even the the laws of Westeros, I think, would not permit that to happen. Uh, fortunately for Sansa, but yeah. I, I agree with you that um, I really like the scene for Brienne because you get uh, well. First of all, uh, how many times in the, over the course of the show has she said uh, a shadow with the face of Stannis Baratheon? She always says <laughs> that those exact words and that you know that exact phrasing, and it's starting to get to me because is it? It is well because you know I all, noticed it for the first time here. I, I remember kept remembering the shadow thing. I didn't remember with the face of Stannis Baratheon. Well, that's the thing. I, uh, I don't either, and I don't think it did. <laughs> I I would have to go back and look at that scene. But every time she says that, like I'm almost no, I positive think that the she, implication. That's not true. I think, but I, I to me, I took it as figurative because I was like, I don't remember that, but I like it as a figurative statement saying it's a shadow that was operating on behalf of Stannis. But I thought, but I thought that the reason she thought it was operating on behalf of Stannis was because she saw Stannis's face in it. But couldn't she surmise that it was probably Stannis? I guess, but I, I, I always know. got I the impression she that knew that. I mean, but yeah, but yeah, I, I always got, but nobody else. She has no reason to believe that it's Stannis. Otherwise, I guess nobody else. Well, because wasn't it everyone else thinks camps? it's her? Yeah, but weren't both camps there? And so, like, the most immediate enemy to her was the Stannis camp, and so I think it's reasonable to assume. That's true, but I always thought that... I, I, I always got the impression she was talking... Because, like, she wouldn't... She would say it differently if she was talking figuratively. She wouldn't literally say... She would say a shadow sent by Stannis Baratheon, not literally a shadow with the face of Stannis Baratheon. Mm. Because she has to know how ridiculous that sounds, and it does. I, I just thought it was some sort of weird fantasy, you know... Genre, that's true. statement. You know, so yeah, well, like a weird, like a weird fantasy uh, uh, ism. Yeah, exactly. That that yeah. that could be. Yeah. Um. So I I don't know. I mean, maybe it's not. I and I honestly, because she kept saying it, I assumed it was in the book or something. I don't. Um, maybe I don't remember. Uh. So I just figured it was something that George R. R. Martin had written. But anyway, it's uh, it, it makes for a compelling narrative, even if nobody's listening to her. And um, so uh. Did you enjoy the the Podrick slapstick humor that we we got with the horse? I did. Yeah, subsequent chase. <laughs> I um, like that. Yeah, I, I like. Well, I just like uh, Pod with Brienne. I think they're a really interesting pair. Uh, Brienne's kind of irritable stoicness and his very earnest uh, uh, clumsiness. So yeah, it was when he falls off the horse. It, honestly, I, I I didn't have a problem with it. I don't think it went. I don't think it was too much. I don't think it was too slapsticky. Um, I think it probably could. I didn't either. I was just like, oh, this is a comedy note. They're trying to hit a comedy note now. Yeah. You know, well, especially kind of because the immediate next beat is one of mortal danger. Uh, right. So they immediately undercut it. They don't just make it like, oh, he's so he's the comic relief in this dangerous scene. Um, although they do, they do have him throw the rock. <laughs> Which is also yes. really funny. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, and he you know, misses. <laughs> yeah. And he says, you know, I'll take that to mean you're unarmed. Um, yeah. Oh, there was one other thing. Oh, and also um, him leering at the, some random waitress in the in the inn, that whole thing. Like, that's how they – I don't know. I thought it was interesting because I, mean, I guess they're building on his past experiences or something or now that he's matured or whatever. Um 
in a manner of speaking, he's like now leering at people. But anyway, that's how he ends up seeing Baelish from across the room. Uh, yeah, the whole thing was was kind of odd. But in any case, I, I, I like like you said, I like the the Pod and Brienne stuff. Um, it's just like these. And by the way, I feel like this has sort of taken the place of now that uh, Arya and the Hound are out of the picture. I feel like they've sort of taken the place of like sort of the pair wandering around. Although we're going to be about to get uh, some Jamie and Bronn. Yeah. So we're going to get a, a bunch of little uh, pairs walking around. Oh, and then I guess I guess Littlefinger and and, uh, and yeah, Sansa that's, also. That's true. They, they're they also well, wandering around the country. It's a lot of that this season. They're all, yeah, they're all splitting off into these, these uh, little groups, which is kind of cool. Um, I always found stories interesting when they uh, – not on their own. You know, like, I don't find Arya all that interesting when she's just by herself. But I do like when she goes and she finds people to – you know, be with or follow around or learn from or, you know, build on. Um, we get a lot at the wall this week too. Oh yeah. Well, we get, we get two, two massive developments one after the other, uh, which is right. kind of strange because either one of these could have been the big climactic moment for this storyline in, ep- in an episode, mm-hmm. but they choose to do them both at the same time. And I think it's, it's interesting to have them, uh, the way that they, what each one says about the other by putting right. them next to each other. So the, what I'm talking about, obviously, is... Um, yeah, I'm trying to figure out, because I know the main thing, right, with John becoming the... Yeah, well, the, the, yeah, the, fir- the thing that happens right before that is um, Stannis offers to legitimize him and make him John Stark. Oh, right, right. So that's... so weird hearing that name, by the way. Right? It's, it was it's so strange. strange. It's just yeah, it doesn't sound right. Um, but yeah, so he, so that happens, and then, the very next thing that happens is the election. Um, so these are very, you know, two very right. They could have left it off on him saying, you know, he's offered for me to become John Stark, and then cut it. Exactly. So that we don't yeah. know what he's going to decide to do, or. Whatever. But I think that yeah, well, I, I the reason that I like putting them together is I think that it ultimately says more about. John's character then absolutely uh, I've li- I like separating them could because it's all it's you know these two very uh, the the two extreme poles of of the paths he could take you know uh, the thing he's always wanted for his entire life he says or the most uh, the highest ranking possible position at this thing he's dedicated his life to now mm. and he decides to go with this he talks so much about how he's made a vow in the, uh, made a vow to the night's watch he says that <laughs> at least three times every episode um, but he's I, I paid off for him at the end of this one yeah absolutely and i think that was really cool and, and sam had and by the way here we got sam and and uh, and john back together again and suddenly you know i cared a lot more about last last episode they weren't together i mean they were physically in the same place but weren't interacting here they were I found them. Uh, I thought it was interesting. I also find it a little weird the time they spent on uh, uh, with Gilly talking to uh, Shireen about the grayscale disease thing. Yeah. What is this? Is there a reason that we're going into this disease? I mean, I um, I imagine she's supposed to be like an important character at some point. I yeah. The show is definitely making Shireen a much more important character uh, than she is in the books. They're giving her a lot more time. So I, yeah, uh, the grayscale thing is interesting. It it seems like they're setting up uh, that this is going to be an important thing later in the season. If if not for these characters, then like grayscale is going to pop up in another storyline, and we're just right. gonna need, we're going to need to know what it is uh, for context. 
it just seems like such a roundabout way to bring in a wildling so that she can talk about how one of two of her sisters happen to have this disease just so they can have a conversation about this disease, which seems to be important, I guess, because they're talking about it. But it's just, it's a little odd to me. I don't know about roundabout. I mean, I, I think it is an interesting... Well, I, I don't know. Is well, I'm just thinking about it, it if you're planning out a plot line... Is it a coincidence? To, yeah, that... and you're like, I want to talk about this disease. You could have had any character... <laughs> you know, it's just... Well, that, that's Gilly the thing. Is it a coincidence that one of that Gilly's sisters had this disease, or is it the implication that this is a... You know, this disease is a very far-ranging, uh, widespread epidemic... And it would be if that's the case. It's weird that we really <laughs> haven't heard anything more about it in previous seasons. Well, to me, to me, it seems less like that and more like a, a reference to. Well, I don't know, but because it was a Craster thing, I was thinking it maybe had something to do with incest, and that that was implying something with Stannis. But I, I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. Um, it just seems like an odd thing to bring up. And I always thought that she was only the daughter was only there for, uh, for Sir Davos to learn how to read. And that was pretty much it. Well, they, they did the whole thing last season where Melisandre was like, uh, to Selyse, was like, yeah, we have to bring your daughter because she has an important part to play in in the future or whatever. Uh, so we don't know what that's about. Well, we don't know. But initially I was like, oh, okay, so she's going to teach Sir Davos how to read so he can read. And then like, that'll be that. And then, you know, oh, she has a part to play. Okay. And then now she's having a conversation about her disease. And it's just interesting, and, which she apparently was cured of. So it's just the remnants of it. Um, or they, or they stopped the, a... they stopped the spread of it. I think they say. Oh, okay, right. And so like so it would have, com- yeah, like it would have completely her. consumed her, but they were able to kind of stop it at her face or whatever. And it turns you into some sort of animal or something. Very odd. Yeah, it's it's kind of like rabies, maybe. Like it infects your brain. Maybe is the implication. Like when it gets to the final stages, it covers your brain. But it seems to have well, it seems to have a physical thing to it. So you know, maybe yeah, it's, it's both it, lizard it's... people. You know. Um. Or maybe, you know what could be cool? This is totally just reaching. I have no basis for this. But it'd be cool to connect this to, um, you know, like the children of the forest or some other thing that, like, it's a it's a remnant of some, like, past race that no longer exists and that it's, like, sort of a, a, a second coming of these, whoever they are. Because um, at first I was like, oh, maybe it's related to the White Walkers, but that wouldn't really make much sense. But, you know, it could be related to, you know, the, the children of the forest or one of these... Um, groups that seem to be extinct or maybe not uh maybe <laughs> i'm reading well, just, yeah i mean you know what i mean like it, it seems like another thing to add into it which doesn't make a whole lot of sense but i could see this you know being referenced periodically and then bring it up in like say brand storyline or something and be like oh you know um it's related to something there um but i guess we'll We'll see. It's it's complete speculation at this point because we don't really have a lot of information on it. I just find it interesting they spent time on it. Um, so did you uh, did you like this? You like this election scene and uh, Sam's speech, which I thought was I thought was great. Yeah, I really like. Again, this is one of this is the second of three examples in this episode of condensing like several like several chapters of, of book. Story <laughs> into like five minutes of TV. Wow! Uh, there's a whole thing in the books where Sam goes around and he, like campaigns for John and does like House of Cards, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, secret deals with people. It's a whole thing, but in, you wow. know, it's just a speech. He just gives us an impromptu. Well, here speech. he, I, but it, it fit. He, like to me, it made sense, and he totally slams Jano's slint, and he stands up for himself, even not through fighting, but you know, just through courage to speak up. You know, yeah, he he definitely asserts himself as in. 
it's interesting to, to see Sam in this position as, you know, not just uh, self-confident enough to do this, give this speech in public, but also that he is a, a well-known person at the wall. He is at least a quasi-popular person, uh, well, well-known enough that that people are kind of with it and, and, and into it when he's when he's speaking and well, not they make just because it's about John. Hmm? They make fun of him at first, though. Well, J- uh, Janos does, or Alistair does. Yeah, well, you, right, but there's but the whole, the, the, there's the well, there, well, there's the whole, like, it seems the Alistair... Well, yeah, they, they laugh, it's a, it's a joke, but it seems like there's a definite split between the Alistair sympathizers and the John sympathizers. Oh, interesting. And, I just assumed everyone laughed, but that he then overcame that and said, like, yeah, haha, funny, but, you know, I've got a real thing to say. But then um, every, and everyone laughs at the things that he says, too, so it seems oh, like, absolutely. like, kind of absolutely. a brother, like, so, just a camaraderie, just like... like like, it felt like the public opinion was shifting at that point. You know what I mean? To to what he was saying, he was making some valid points. And then by undercutting Janos Slynn, of course, he undermines his endorsement of Alistair yeah. Thorne. Um, I will say this. I th- feel like this is going to lead to some bad things between uh, Alistair and John. It certainly, <laughs> it certainly seems that way, doesn't it? Um, um, it how could it not, really? Well, uh, to me, I always felt that um, Alistair Thorne, as much as he's like a huge jerk, let's call it that, um, he does it within the confines of rules. He's always yes, a jerk yes. but it, because he has station. And so I think that that um, – I think that it will be interesting to see what he does now. If he does something radical, I would be surprised because he's always operated within those confines, even if he's, like, kind of nuts. Well, yeah, um, well, he also has, you know, he is not – he isn't a radical. And, like, when, he's when not. After, after Sam gives his speech, he says, I can't disagree with any of that. He says, right. you know, but – but he, the first thing he says is, yeah, all of that's true because I think he is a And then he tries enough, to mudsling with some random political, you know – Exactly. Well, yeah, he's, he's a reasonable enough man to – recognize things and respect things in people that are respectable. So I right. think that it's a very strong possibility that now that John is in this position, um, he will, maybe grudgingly, but he will, you know, o- obey the, the his boss. Right. And and we'll see if that actually comes to fruition, but I, I would not be surprised if that does, ha- does happen based on what we know of him. Um I will say, I was expecting them to say, I was expecting Master A, and I feel like they uh, they cut this out, but I was expecting uh, Master Amen to say, um, you know, and the round, okay, so, and round tokens will count for uh, John, or something. They sort of just jumped to the election after they just made this big thing about how there's square and triangle tokens, uh, but doesn't say anything about the round ones, and then everyone just votes. Um, so those are a little amusing for me because it seems like something that was just cut out like one quick line um, but in any case I like that Master Eamon was the one who put in the last vote for Jon Snow why did they smash that jar to get the to get the tokens why didn't, <laughs> why didn't they just it's more dramatic <laughs> why did they have to b- break the jar with a hammer <laughs> maybe it's a like a one way jar or something <laughs> No, seriously, you know, like a you know, like a raccoon trap. You know, it's like a cone with like a oh. hole on the end. Oh, maybe. If you so, stick but... your hand in, you can't take it out again. So but why you would put you it in? Why would you make a, j- a jar with that purpose? Because now no one can change the vote without. Oh, that's breaking true. Breaking it. I am completely true. speculating. I have no idea what the jar looks like on the inside, but I could see that as being like a sort of a, a primitive, you know, voting 
uh, you know, fraud fixer thing. Just guessing. I don't know. It's it. It's also more dramatic, like I said. Um, <laughs> the one thing thematically I will say about the scene, which is kind of cool, is John's uh, John Snow getting this position, which you know, positions of leadership are always tenuous and. You know, although it seems like of all position leadership positions, you know, lordships, whatever, this one seems like a pretty secure one. Assuming you, you know, you if you die, it'll die by like, you know, wildlings or something that's just a you know hazard of the job, not someone stabbing you in the back, usually. Um, but in any case, because uh, you know, Commander Mormont looks like he was there forever. Um, but I I find it cool because you know this is someone getting rewarded for something they did well you know in that battle in, in last season so john john did something good and of course our cynicism with the show is oh he did something good he'll never get any recognition for it alistair thorne will become you know the, the you know the leader and and john snow will have to you know live under his thumb for you know another couple of seasons or whatever um but that's not that's not what we get we get someone actually getting rewarded for what they did which is not i don't think very typical in this show um, so it was a glimmer of positivity that I really enjoyed because we so rarely get it. That's true. Although you can only, you know, assume that when the other shoe's going to drop. Yeah, sure. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> especially since it's this early in the season. Right. That right. Right. Th- exactly. Things cannot be so so rosy for so long. Well, I mean, it's sort of like that scene, but it was a finale, of course. But the scene where they, you know, the king in the north with, um, you know, so I, I think that that whole thing, or with um, Daenerys and uh, in, at the end of season three, with everyone coming out to greet her and calling her Misa, which is oh, totally yeah. in this whole in the, this whole episode is about that all that falling away. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, we we should talk about that. So what uh, what did you what did you think of this this whole thing? Um, another great example of this is this is literally everything. This is Daenerys's entire book five arc in ten minutes. Uh, wow, it's awesome and it's it's so i've read a great article and i'll have to find it about how uh the controversy of that image at the end of season three of the the white savior thing where she comes out and all the brown people are like you know hailing her as as, this the the god the savior uh and how this episode completely subverts that and kind of you know it, it gives a reason for that image to have existed because now in the narrative we know that uh that's not what the story was going to be about. That the story was going to be about the fact that uh, because she is so, she is an imperialist and she does not respect the culture and the traditions of this place, they are inevitably going to turn on her and the her, she can never, you know, her rule could never work the way that she's doing it. She wants to impose uh, what she sees as justice, but it's it's coming at the expense of well, like I said, she does. She does not respect Miranese culture. I think she says as much in the last episode because she associates she associates it with uh, slavery and and all those awful things, which is true. But at the same time, because she won't do something like reopen the fighting pits, uh, even if it's even if you take the slavery element away from that, because she's so obstinate about that, uh, people are gonna hate her, and people people can't respect her because stuff like this happens and it's revealed that ultimately whether or not she admits it she doesn't respect them you know it's interesting you see it as uh, you looking at all of that to me it's just she doesn't know how to rule and the, that's what it comes down to ultimately yeah it, you know but right but i think that you know i was hoping i was really hoping she would go with you know executing this guy 
because like I'm thinking of not from a like an oh you know narratively I want this to happen no I just like personally I was like this needs to happen because you need to make a statement saying you can't just go and like take the law into your own hands and become a vigilante you know for justice or whatever you think you're doing um so this has to be done and I was really hoping she would do that even though everyone's like you know don't do it don't do it do mercy um and she wasn't just gonna be a sort of a populist because I feel like that's what makes a good leader someone who so in other words, I think the situation she actually did, she she led well. First, she said, I'm going to do a trial. They ignored her and tried to take law into their hands and completely, you know, uh, you know, ignore whatever law she's imposing. And then uh, when they disobeyed that, she, you know, uh, she said, oh, yeah, I'm going to execute this guy. And then she did. And I feel like those are all the right steps that you're supposed to take. But, they, but the thing is, of course, it, those are the right steps, but it doesn't matter because – what she can't recognize is that what she sees are as the right steps and what should be the right steps don't work in this situation. You know, she what she does is the right thing, as what she does is to impose her rule and the the sanctity of, of her rule over the city is right, but it doesn't matter because now her people hate her. Because she, right. You, but well, what's interesting the is that thing. the guy says, you know, your hands were tied and I freed you. But what, of course, he does is tie her hands even further. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, you know, well, I give her, you know, an ultimatum on what she can do. But my feeling is this. I know that, you know, this is not a democracy, right? So <laughs> <laughs> democracy is a different situation. It, given the context of this sort of um, uh, the way that she's ruling this is sort of authoritarian rule, you know, you can't shoot, you know, they were happy that she freed them, but then they want to sort of dif- dictate how she runs the place. And it's like, well, if you're embracing her, her and her ideology, you embrace her and her ideology and you trust in her. She's really, you know, the mother, or whatever it is you weirdly idolize her as. Then, like, you follow her and, like, do the thing. And if you're not going to, you know, adhere to that, you're going to, like, complain about, you know, her decision making. But that's the it's thing. Like, well, then from... they depose her. But, like, what, you know, you. They want someone who's just going to follow whatever they want to... No, no, that's the thing. I completely disagree. The whole thing is that they think that they are following her. That's the whole thing. When he takes the guy and he writes... By the way, he writes Kill the Masters in English on the wall for some reason. But (laughs) but never mind. Um, They think that Well, English, it's the common tongue. Well, yeah, but this is... They also speak... Don't speak English. They speak, you know, Giscari or Valyrian or whatever. (laughs) But um, they think that... This guy thinks that... He is doing, uh, the he is doing right by her law when you know she says uh, once the masters were the law, and he says, and now you are the law because what he thinks is that he is following her example and uh, and killing people who do wrong and try to oppress That's others. That's funny. That's really funny that you think that because to me it's oh great I have somebody who will do what I want to do now. That's what that read to me as. No, not... well, the whole thing is that she is the one who came in and said, you can do this, what you need to do. You know, what you need to do is, is, is rise up and, 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 and kill your masters. That, you know, she inspired them to do that. So from their perspective, uh, doing something like going in and killing this person who is, from his perspective, like he says in the council meeting earlier, allied with the masters, with the old families, with people who want the return of slavery, he is doing exactly what she told him to do, what she told all the people to do, which is take your lives into your own hands. Don't let other people oppress you. And the tragedy, obviously, is that 
he does what he uh, what he doesn't uh, comprehend or what he doesn't even what doesn't even enter his mind is that the, the idea that doing something like this, uh, even though she didn't tell him to do it, he st- you know he still thought it would be okay with her. Uh, doing something that doing something like this would not be okay with her, and would actually even though it was exactly the kind of thing uh, in line with the kinds of thing that she was inspiring his people to do all the way up to this point. I think it's, I think it's just fundamentally a disconnect between, um, you know, authoritarian, an authoritarian ruler and the sort of sense of freedom she seems to be trying to impart on people. Um, you know, you can't, it's sort of like, a, you know, a, a, a dictator running a, com- a supposedly communist country. It's like, well, that's why people get deposed, because you've told everyone that they're equal, but that you have more equality than everyone else, so you get to be in charge. Well, yeah, that doesn't sustain itself for, you know, unless you just kill everyone who, you know, doesn't agree with you, in which case, yeah, you can stay in charge for however long. Uh, But eventually that'll, you know, come back to bite you. So I think, you know, really the only direction this can go is if, you know, there's no alternative to being a king in this. There's the free folk, basically. But even then, they have kings. <laughs> so there's really no alternative. And so it's like, unless she, you know, imposes a uh, a democracy, which she's never going to do because she's like, I'm a queen, it's my right, you know, that whole thing. Uh, we just won't, we won't ever see that. Um, but I feel like that's the only direction to go is like a democracy or some sort of actual equal, you know, sort of socialist little group of people who are actually all equal and there's nobody just imposing their rule on them. Because you can't, you can't, propagate this idea that no one can you know rule you and then be like but i'm gonna rule you it doesn't work and that's the conflict she keeps running into well yeah i mean they're probably like what's the difference between having a master and having you know an all high master exactly well well, what i don't remember what at one point uh, he says this but she says the masters are gone and he says then who lives in the pyramids right and he's not talking directly about her He's talking about, you know, but the, she is the harpies. There, yeah. But yeah, but she lives in a pyramid, so the implication is exactly what you're saying. And this is this is why this whole thing was doomed to fail from the minute she arrived at the walls of the city, where she said, "I'm not going to conquer you. You're gonna you're gonna rise up. I'm gonna inspire you to do this yourself because you uh, don't have to live under their rule." And if, the very next thing she does is come in and say, "Now I'm gonna be her ruler, but I'm totally gonna you know be better. Uh, don't don't even worry about it." Right. And now she's running into. <laughs> and then she this... walks up into her pyramid and sits in her throne, when she could have taken a house, you know, on the street. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, we will get into the end of this, but I do want to just say, um, cause I want to talk about Tyrion really quick. All I can think of during that, the, her small council meeting, which by the way, it's always interesting because it's radically different than what's going on in the capital. I really, yeah, um, I really liked that small council meeting. Yes, exactly. exactly. I loved, I, um, I think his dar for the first time in this scene, like his character really clicked for me. Uh, that performance and that character, I could just never really get a read on or get on board with within this scene where he's kind of uh, he's arguing with this uh, the, the former slave his name is Mosador right. it says um, arguing with him because you know he wants to support Daenerys as much as this guy does but this guy fundam- you know he's never gonna like him because he is part of this old family he is old money he's, right. he has power he has actual power and power and this con- you know he, he's arguing with him but and he's offended by what this guy is saying, uh, but at the same time, he's right. And it's not just that he's offended, it's that he's saying, look, you, you can say this, make these sweeping statements about all the old families, but 
I'm not like that. And it's not like, well, I'm not like that. It's genuine. It's, you know, I'm a good person sitting here just like you. Don't come at me like that. Yeah, although, you know, that sounds like, you know, not all men are one of those things, you know? <laughs> well, no, it's it like, does it's sound like, it's, like that, It's not yeah. like, the, it's like the old families were, I mean, yeah, I'm sure he was sincere, but, like, the old families still had slaves, and so, you know, it's like, well, my family was, was pretty good. I'm like, yeah, you still well, yeah, benefit. I mean, the first thing system. he does when he shows up is he's like, well, my father spoke out against the crucifixion. Like, well, <laughs> that's a nice thing to say, but you have to remember the, co- the reason that he was able to do that is because he probably owned some of those slaves. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He probably owned slaves, or he at least benefited from the system, you know what I mean? And so you're talking, it's interesting, you know, a, you know, a discussion of privilege, certainly, in this case, is, um, will, will rear its head repeatedly. Um, this is also the scene where uh, Barristan tells Daenerys uh, that her father was the Mad King, for real. And it didn't even occur to me until now that she didn't know this yet. Yeah, she didn't, like, she, you know, it's like, my enemies tell, say that. It's like, well, no, he was kind of nuts, which I think is cool, so that she knows that. And that it helped inform, and I'm glad, I'm surprised she was so receptive to it, you know, because it seemed like, you know, she would just walk away and that he would have to reapproach her later, and they just dealt with it in this scene, which is good, because, you know, how many things can you dangle out there for the audience? But in any case, so he dealt with it, he said it, you know, and I want you to be sure that you're, you know, going to deal with things fairly, because... You know, I didn't like serving the Mad King. That sucked. And I'd like to serve you, but I don't want you to become that. Um, and he's, you know, and she says, you know, I'm not my, my father. And so, uh, yeah, this is a good scene. And I like that she made the decision to do a trial. As I said, I think that was the right choice. Um, yeah, and the other tragedy of the thing with uh, Mosador is that she can't even give him a fair trial because he admitted to doing it. Like, she can't even do that part of the justice that she was so fervent about. Uh, yeah, but, being fair. but I still think you could have done a, maybe a public trial, even though, you, you know, when somebody admits to doing a murder, you still have a trial, right? And they say, well, we have a confession, so they, they still come out, it may be But a I think that, well, that show. scene kind of was the trial, though, right? It was, you well, know, no, it wasn't an official say, one, but that... Did you, she didn't say, did you kill blah, blah, blah. No, because well, he comes to her and, and says, yeah, I did it. So there's yeah, he no... Doesn't, you, from, I mean, yeah, from, in, in, our, in our legal plea. system, then maybe there's a more official channel, but from their perspective, I think, you know, there's no reason to go through with a trial because I just we're, we're not, there's no truth to discover. That's what I'm saying. Publicly, is she, she, there was no conversation publicly, and so there was never, like, you know, I'm sure there are people just like we have now, you know, <laughs> conspiracy theorists, some of the community saying, oh, did you, uh, you know, did that conversation really happen, or are you just executing people that you don't like, or dissenters? Well, I would have come to the same thing, though. Like, he would have admitted it, and she would have had to execute him. No, it would have come to the same thing, but the confession would have been public, is what I'm saying. Yeah, but so I, like, I'm, I'm said, saying it, I don't think it would have made a difference. Yeah, but that's still, that's closer to a real trial. We don't, we don't have a, a, somebody confess and then give them a sentence. That doesn't happen, at least not in our version of a, a fair trial. But I guess I'm just, um, you know, sort of imposing my U.S. Yeah, and it's hard to, it. it's hard to make this a one-to-one comparison, I think. Exactly, Absolutely. Um, but I, before, I, like I, I was, I was going to say something about Tyrion because I, I think in this, uh, small council meeting, all you could, all I could think of was, you know, we had Barristan to have like some semblance of like logic here, but we didn't have that like smart, you know, rise above the rest of the crowd guy, you know? And I feel that like you could just see where Tyrion would fit into this. Um, so it was cool to then cut to him, you know, and talk to see, uh, you know, him traveling through Volantis. Another um, another plot line with two characters wandering around the country. Yes, absolutely. a different You're country, right. but but the same thing. Right, right, and it's funny because you know, 
of all people, Varys is one of the few people who um, just doesn't move very much usually. Like he's he's in the capital for all of four seasons. Even in even in around. scenes, he's he's usually very still. Yeah, like <laughs> and he still him. is. Yeah, he still is. But it's just cool to see him traveling because like we don't normally see that very much. Um, so it's cool, and it's and yeah, because it's so inconsistent with how long it takes to get from place to place. You know, characters will get from like one end of Westeros to the other. They'll get from the Wall down to, um, you know, the Iron Islands or whatever in like five seconds. Uh, and at <laughs> another point, it'll take like an hour. You know, an hour, uh, an hour of showtime to get characters from like one end of the King's Road to the other. So you're like, what? You know, um, so it's very hard to tell if you know if Tyrion and Varys are ever going to get to Marine, or if any of this is going to happen within the space of you know the next couple of episodes or not. Um, they could cut away from them and not even show them for a whole episode. They could, you know, stretch this out for an extended period of time. So we'll see. Um, but I am excited for them to arrive. The, one of my favorite. I loved the line where um, where um, Varys is like, uh, do, "Do we have to sit here and?" talk about the futility of everything. Oh, God, this is great. And says, you're right, no point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. That, that was, was very funny. That was well written. Um, uh, and then the, the the big finale is uh, Drogon. We get a Drogon real quick. Oh, we didn't even talk about Dorne, did we? Dorne? Oh, we did. We got to talk about, we got to talk about Dorne. So before we get to Drogon, let's, let's Dorne. Um, let's so Dorne. we have, <laughs> let's Dorne. Um, so uh, we get Ilaria, uh, is that her name? Yes. Uh, Ilaria Sand and uh, Tristan Martell, who I guess is Oberyn's uh, brother, and Ilaria, yeah, I guess, um, was... Doran Martell. Tristan Doran. is a character we... I think we, we're supposed to be watching him from... Um, she's watching him on the balcony. Oh, okay, okay. So we have... Tristan is with Marcella. Yes. And then Doran is on the balcony. Okay. So, hey, these are brand new characters, right? Yeah. Um, but, uh, so we have Ilaria Sand, and she goes and she, she talks to Doran about... Um, Oberyn's death and how the Sand Snakes, who we haven't met yet, I guess are Oberyn's kids, are... Yeah, uh, his, uh, his bastard daughters. His bastard daughters, right, are all, you know, itching to go and fight. Uh, so, I think this was more to set up, sort of, to give us... So, it's a it's like a viper pit over in, in Dorne, and so we have, you know, uh, Jamie and Bronn walking right into that, and that'll be kind of interesting. Um, I, I do think this is kind of interesting, actually. Yeah. You have this sort of this interesting culture in Dorne, um, at least from what we know of Oberyn, of all these women and and this sort of sexualized culture in a lot of ways. Um, and it'll be interesting to see, and also with this, the Sand Snakes, who are all, from what you've told me, are their daughters, right? Yes. Um, to have Jamie, who's this very good-looking guy, who you know people oh you know faint over, and uh, and Bronn, who seems to have sex with everyone. Um, both going to this place. I wonder if they're planning to do some sort of a Lannister and a Lannister sympathizer. Yeah. Uh, not going to, uh, no matter what, <laughs> are not going to be a welcome presence. I think not going to be a welcome presence, but I think it'll be interesting to see how they sort of interact with the, the Dornish population. Again, we have absolutely no, no idea. Um, and by the way, we know Tyrion did. <laughs> he says it very specifically in season like one. And I know that they've had recent issues, but this was well after, um, the initial conflict between the two groups. So there's there's a possibility here. I just find it interesting that those two characters are the ones going to Dorne, and there's all this sort of strange potential there in that regard. Um, but regardless, it's interesting. I also I I was like, I, I, 
what do you think of the the Doran Martell character? Um, it's Alexander Siddig, who's been in a bunch of things, and I don't remember which thing specifically, but I've seen him around. Um, are you? Is this how you expect to see him based on the book? Or uh, yes, actually, and it's oh. which is a little too bad because I think, like in the books, he's not going to get a lot to do for a while. But I think when you know once we once we get into it, he's going to be a really really cool character. But right now, at this point in the story, he's obviously he's doing the the, the sit-and-wait um, strategy <laughs> for dealing with uh, all the horrible things that are happening. Uh, which is interesting because of who we knew Oberyn to be. Uh, right, exactly. None of these... They all seem like they could be... Like, you're like, okay, I can believe this... Like, they're related, but their sense of, like, the um, attitude doesn't seem to really carry over in quite the same way. Um, I will say, uh, Indira Varma, who plays... Uh, uh, Ilaria, she was in Rome as, I can't remember who she plays in Rome, but she was really, really good. Um, and it's cool that these actors are still finding, you know, Rome had a, a tumultuous cancellation that was just tragic. Um, so it's really cool that these characters, you know, these, these actors from these other series are getting, you know, something to do 10, you know, 10 years later, uh, on these shows. So it was cool to see her show up. Um, but I guess really, I just want to see more of them. Uh, we didn't get to see Marcella at all. Uh, we have all we saw is her walking through the garden. So, yeah, kind of like out of focus in the distance, walking yep. through the garden. <laughs> it wasn't even clear where we were at first because I was like, "Well, you know, where is this?" You know. Um, but yeah, so I'm uh, I'm excited to see the uh, the 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 pair uh, Bron and and Jamie show up at Dorne. I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon, but uh, that'll be cool. Well, like, and... Yeah, like you said. Ed... The show could do a thing where, like, they're in Dorne next episode, or it might make, take them three episodes. Exactly. We have absolutely no idea. Um, so there's that. And then, uh, so getting back to Drogon, um, we see her. Uh, we see Drogon land on the, the roof, and uh, Daenerys sort of see uh, him, and, and they have a, sort of an interaction there. Um, I have this feeling... I, well, first of all, I can't tell if Drogon is, like, it's so they didn't build these dragons in a way that makes any sense to you know or like a, a way for for us to sort of understand them in context of one another. So I don't know what his how like Drogon feels about the fact that his siblings are chained up in a in a thing somewhere, or if Drogon even knows that, and if that's going to have ramifications. Well, yeah, Dro- Drogon was gone before any of that happened, so he well, he has you no know, maybe you presumably could... no idea. Well, I don't know if they can hear, you know, maybe they could hear, like, you know, the siblings, like, roaring in a tomb somewhere. I mean, who knows what Drogon's been doing for the past, you know, season. Yeah, the, uh, the implication is that presumably that he just doesn't, even if that's the case, he doesn't care. He doesn't okay. care, you know, he doesn't care about Daenerys, as we see. Uh, he's just kind of in his, like, teenage rebel phase, off doing, <laughs> off doing his own thing and, you know, not, not telling anybody where he's going. It is kind of cool to see a dragon in the night sky, though, that was... Uh... That's kind of a, it's a different atmosphere, and I'm sure it'll freak, you know, Westeros out if it ends up in Westeros, or, <laughs> um, or at least, you know, the rest of Essos. But, you know, a dragon would certainly help keep people in line. <laughs> um, it, she was a lot more, Daenerys was a lot more imposing when she had three dragons sitting behind her. Uh, she does not have that anymore, so, yeah. The eff- Was it just me, or were the effects in this scene a little, like, off? Iffy. Yeah, I, 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 I thought that... You know what I think it is? is? I think it's just... 
if they had kept the lighting a little more natural, so it was a little, it was darker, and you, you know, it was kind of harder to make things out than you know, as the CGI at night is difficult. Well, yeah, but it, from at what the same I, from time, what I've seen, I don't know anything about. Doing I, it, I, but. I disagree because I think it, if it's harder to see, then it's much well, easier want to well get lit, away with dodgy CGI. If you want well lit nighttime, because the lighting is so peculiar, you know, with the light with the moon or whatever you're trying to light with. Um, I was saying they, they, I think the lighting was done in such a way that it, it seemed kind of forced in order to much. get oh, a okay. better in order to get a better view of him. And I get you know it, he's he's a black dragon, so it, at night I can see how they maybe had trouble seeing him. But it really does look like they like pumped up the contrast on these shots. It just it looks awkward and it reveals the animation to be like a little video gamey. It just, it just it, it just doesn't it, it, those shots didn't really work for me. Yeah, I I thought it was a little strange, but it, my um, stream quality was a little low, uh, so I wasn't able to tell exactly what um, how quality because darker scenes always look terrible. If you don't have good streaming, um, like good connection, uh, <laughs> you tend to go a lot more artifacting at night. Um, blacks don't come up so well uh, on that. Um, when you don't have a good connection, so I wasn't I wasn't able to tell, but I did I do agree it did look a little strange to me. I just wasn't I wasn't going to say anything because I wasn't sure. I'd have to see it like on a Blu-ray to really evaluate the uh, the quality of that. Um, but I will say that uh, you know a, an interesting way to do the scene in a different way was maybe not to show Drogon too much, or maybe just show like you know the the very tip of the face or something, and then show Drogon sort of taking off as a shadow and flying away. And then you wouldn't you know is it necessary to see the whole dragon? You know what I mean? That also is a, a question. I guess they want to get their money's worth, right? Exactly, and then we get back to that. It's like every shot of a dragon has to be like, you know, something's got to be happening, otherwise it's, you know, why are we doing this shot? It's going to be too much money. Um, but in any case, I, I, I like, I thought this episode was uh, it's superior to the first. Uh, I enjoyed it more. More stuff happened. Um, I don't need action, per se, but I like the plot to move forward a little bit. Uh, I like the Game of Thrones world. I don't love it. I don't need to learn about every detail and every character and every side character and their, you know, what kind of clothes they wear. So, um, yeah. So I was I was content, and uh, I take it you enjoyed this episode as well. I did. Yeah, I think I also enjoyed it a little more than the premiere. Although they do kind of the fact that they that they hold over uh, Arya and uh, the stuff in Dorne into this episode kind of makes them feel like a single. Unit, and I know that's how they shoot. That's how they shoot it. So they do. They'll do two episodes at a time, and if two episodes will have the same director, and then the next two episodes will have the same director. Uh, so you get that's. I think that's how they've always done it. So you know, interesting. Every two episodes will have a very a similar feel, a similar they'll flow in an interesting way. And this episode in particular had a, I think, largely the editing was phenomenal. The way that they arranged. Uh, scenes to kind of, and in, and in the premiere to a lesser extent, but yeah, in the premiere, uh, the way that scenes kind of the end of one scene set up implicitly the events of the next scene, uh, and, and there's just a yeah, they flowed together flow. well. Yeah, they flowed flowed together thematically, even narratively, in a lot of ways. So I definitely agree it was an improvement, um, or at least to me, I think it, it was an improvement because the first the first episode, even though it had a better title, didn't quite. Also, you know we. We missed that whole, uh, there was no flashback scene this time. So, you know, there's always that. <laughs> yeah. um, although I will say, uh, just on the flashback front, uh, her actions do make more sense in this episode in context of the prophecy about her kids dying. I can see her being a little bit wary of uh, 
Marcella in Dorne. Um, although, of course, you know, in her efforts to prevent it, it'll inevitably happen. Uh, as so, always. As always. So, uh, we'll we'll see what happens. But uh, in any case, um, was there anything else you, you wanted to say? Uh, no. The next episode is called High Sparrow. Excellent. And I, it's my understanding of High Sparrows is somebody that, or a, a person or a place or something that book readers have been looking forward to for a while. Yeah, this is a character played by Jonathan Price. Jonathan Price. Oh, great. Cool. Yes. So I'm very excited to see him. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, thank you for joining me. Uh, again, my name is Soren Howe, uh, and this is uh, Josh Rosenfield, and uh, thank you for joining us for Star Contrast. We'll see you next week.